Hier komen wij in vreemd. You're listening to Red Flag Radio. My name is Ros Ward and I'm hosting a special series of episodes of our podcast, which is a revolutionary socialist podcast, which is a beginner's guide to a bunch of key concepts of Marxism and how to understand socialism. And this episode is episode number one of that series. What is capitalism? So beginner's guide to capitalism from a socialist perspective. And to join me in that discussion today, I have Emma Black and Annika Demanuel. Welcome to Red Flag Radio, both of you. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Roz. Hi, Roz. All right, let's get cracking. What is capitalism, Annika? Well, I think to start off with, we've got to see that capitalism is a system that's run on the basis of profit and it's a class divided system. So the profit motive rules and runs everything. Yep. Okay, good start. Um, so capitalism hasn't always existed. It's a way of organising society that has existed only for a very tiny proportion of the space of time that humans have existed on Earth. Um, Emma, what about, so then where does capitalism emerge? Why does it emerge? How does it emerge? The history side of it. Yeah, I think it's really important to emphasise how young capitalism is as a system. Um, I think today people generally... Uh, because we live like in this world where it's our entire horizon, it's like asking what is water to a fish or something to ask what what is capitalism. So to historicize it is a really important part of being a socialist um, and to talk about where it came from. So essentially, historically, um, capitalism emerged uh, with the death of the social form of organization that existed before it, which was feudalism. Um, which is a different form of hierarchical system uh, where you basically have a feudal lord or a king or queen who is a landowner um, and a bunch of peasants that sort of exist um, within their their purview, I guess. Um, And there was a a long period, you know, throughout the 18th and 19th centuries where peasants were run off their land, dispossessed of their land and basically rendered incapable of uh, surviving Um, on their own or having any of the means of survival or resources that they needed to reproduce themselves um, and exist uh, freely in in a certain way. So there were things like land clearances where people were expelled from their land. Um, There was a long process of industrialization where people were basically forced um, into uh, waged labor in order to sort of be able to find the means of subsistence in new ways. Um, and there, out of that was an emerging ruling class or bourgeoisie. Um, and that's kind of the general, like, very sort of basic overview of the emergence of capitalism out of the feudal system. Yeah. So really, I mean, human beings' existence has always been based on sort of how people manage to get what they need to survive and that's been organised in different ways in different societies historically and I guess one of the fundamental elements of how Marx came to understand the development of history was to see how those processes of human beings getting what they need to survive have changed and so in feudalism you have this system where peasants um, in part grow the food that they need to eat 
as well as having being forced to give it to the um, noble landowners or whatever. And then at this point in history where the structures of that society change, um, that they're not able to do that anymore because they have these massive land clearances and you have this new group of people who want to dominate in the hierarchy and organise production of things in a different way. And that's how capitalism begins um, to emerge. And there's sort of debates about that. Obviously, there's huge debates about that process and what that looks like. But it's really, I think, important um, in, a, in a beginner's guide to just say, well, there's different ways of organising society and capitalism is a very, very new one, a very, very young one. And it is essentially um, a very different one from anything else that's come before in kind of human history. So Marx started to write about it and Engels, they were the first people to kind of observe the conditions of capitalism and what it meant for people's lives and mostly what is really fucked up about it. But they also kind of looked at it as a system that had started to develop new ways of producing things. Um, that in some ways, it was a big change in human society. So sometimes people look at Marx and Engels and say, well, actually, they were quite big fans of capitalism. What do you think about that, Annika? Well, I think that they weren't necessarily fans of capitalism. One of the things that Marx said was that capitalism was progressive, not in a moral sense, but in a world historic sense, that history was moving forward um, and that there was new ways of organising society. I mean, capitalism is a development and a step forward from a system where kings were put there by God, um, but it's, as you've said, a different way of organising human society. And one of the things they talked about was the terrible conditions that were needed to create capitalism, the mass land clearings. He says that capitalism came to being dripping from every pore in blood and dirt uh, in order to create a destructive uh, system. But one of the things that he also observed and Engels also observed was that capitalism creates its own grave diggers. It creates the working class who are capable of transforming society and actually have an interest in doing so as well. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of what Marx and Engels were writing about was, you know, the, and particularly Engels actually in the history of the English working class, a book where he's just sort of documenting all of the horrors of this new system and what it means for the vast majority of people. But at the same time, what's happened with the development of capitalism is that we've got these new, what would be called productive forces, ways of making things that are better than things that have gone before. The technology has improved and the amount of food that can be produced and so on is much better than what was available for peasants in feudalism. So sometimes people use those arguments to say, well, capitalism is better. Look how great it is. You know, there's so much wealth in the world, there's so much stuff, people's lives are so much better. Um, so what is wrong with capitalism, Emma? Anything? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Or are this... you on the wrong show? No. no, I'm definitely not on the wrong show. <laughs> I think Annika made some really good points there in that we have to look at what Marx and Engels were saying um, at the time they were saying it. And really they were referring to times, you know, 100 years before they were actually writing these statements, that there was a sense in which there was a period of time where um, the bourgeoisie was a revolutionary force in society. And that was a period of time where a certain class of people were said to have a divine right to ownership, not only over the land and all the means of subsistence, 
um, of human beings, but over human beings themselves. Um, there's a certain point where the bourgeoisie sort of around the time, you know, drawing on the scientific and technological revolutions of the, you know, 18th and 19th centuries, the industrial revolution makes it possible um, for us to produce things way more efficiently, to, uh, um, to build things way more uh, efficiently. But at the same time, um, what emerges is a complete asymmetry um, in the classes of society and power that people have over those means of production and distribution of of those um, of that wealth or of that newfound kind of technological power and efficiency. Um, so at the same time as you have all this kind of great revolutionary technological innovation and the capacity to suddenly satisfy a whole uh, whole new hosts of of needs and and fulfill. Um, fulfill people's needs you have um this concentration of all the power um uh over the distribution the production um in the hands of like a tiny tiny minority um of basically uh bourgeois individuals um who have absolutely no interest in uh driving those new technological innovations towards fulfilling or satisfying the needs of all people um so we have to look at the contradictory nature of this pro- so-called progress, I mm. think. And one of the things uh, uh, with that really is it's like it's almost um, the kind of psychology of capitalism in some ways that's so fucked up because you get this situation where people can see this wealth and they can see all these things that the system has produced. They can see all the food that they could eat and all of the nice things that they could have, but they can't have them. Because the only way you can access those things is if you have money. And if you're a worker, the only thing you can do to get money is to work. And it's in your boss's interest, in the ruling class interest, to give you as little money as possible so that their enterprise remains profitable. So it's like this kind of tantalizing system. I think Marx and Engels pointed to that in a way that you've got these amazing things happening, but then people dying in the street and no, no one to give a shit about them, which is very different to previous forms of society. Yeah, and I think like one of the things is that ordinary people, working class people are responsible for creating all of the good in society. So all of the amazing things that you've been talking about, all of the riches and the wealth, they didn't just sort of suddenly materialize, um, you know, out of the ether, but they were created by working class people all around the world and then they're not able to access them at all um, unless you've got money. So you've got a situation where, you know, companies like Burberry, they've got an excess of clothing. And so they just cut them up and throw them in the bin, not give them to people who might need or require clothing because they want to ensure that their product remains profitable. Um, or, you know, the fact that companies like Coles or Baker's Delight will put locks on their bins so that homeless people can't access uh, the food. Uh, and people will be creating riches that they will never be able to access, like the workers at Apple factories who create iPhones and they get, you know, cents an hour uh, driven to just total despair that they've had to put up what they call suicide nets in these factories because people have been uh, jumping off the tops of the buildings to kill themselves because of the terrible reality they face in these factories. Yeah, I think um, 
One story that a friend told me um, that really put this in the most sort of stark terms that I ever saw it before um, was he used to be a medical doctor in Zimbabwe. Um, and he told me the story of how a lot of sort of poor people in Zimbabwe would come to the hospital um, because the breadwinner in their family had a fatal disease. Um, and this disease was eminently curable. We have the technology and the innovation to to cure it. And they had um, the, the very medicine, you know, the vials of things that he just needed to inject right there, like in the next room or even sometimes in his hand. Um, but because those individuals couldn't afford... Um, to pay for it, even after having sold their house, you know, and living on the street or whatever to try and raise the money, he couldn't administer the medicine because of the pharmaceutical company's policies in order to protect their profits. And, you know, so that person then, you know, dies um, when the, when the, we, it's not that we don't have the technological capacity um to cure them, it's that the profit motive runs in in direct contradiction to the interests of ordinary human beings mm. and to their most like basic needs. And it's all literally within reach, yeah. and just you can't have it. I mean, there's I mean, there's heaps of different stats and things that people can uh, look at. Some of the barbarity of capitalism, the the poverty that exists um, all around the world, and it's not just something that's in the developing world. And people talk about Africa and. Obviously, there's huge amounts of poverty and famine and everything. But in, in Australia, the amount of children living below the poverty line, the kind of hardship that people have to endure and are told to be, appreciate their lives, even though at, they can, you know, there's a sense, and I think even more so in the current kind of political situation, of the inequality in society. And I think that's a massive thing about capitalism, that's the word we haven't used yet, but we should, um, to talk about that inequality is absolutely built into the system. It's not capitalism if it's not unequal. So that's the heart of the system. Um, and one of the things that Mark said, because it's not, it's also that it's not that workers and human beings don't want to work and, you know, contribute and there's every kind of sign in society that shows that that's possible. It's just that what happens to work under capitalism is, as Marx said, and I'm going to quote because it's quite, there's some beautiful um, lyrical phrases in the work of Marx and Engels that I enjoy, that Marx in Capital wrote that um, cap capitalism basically mutilates the labourer into a fragment of a man, degrades him to the level of an appendage of a machine, destroys every remnant of charm in his work and turns it into a hated toil. And that's sort of the, um, not just the life that capitalism gives you or the lack of things that you can access, but it's also the fact that the thing that you're supposed to get your humanity through, through working and contributing, is also taken away um, and degraded. So what's the flip side of that in terms of like the capitalists, the people that we sort of hate as socialists, rightly so, and people, more people should hate them. Um, what kind of examples of some of those people uh, do we have in Australia in particularly? And, you know, sometimes people talk about the better capitalists or the generous capitalists or the people who set up foundations and that kind of stuff like 
isn't there a way to be a better capitalist, Annika? Well, I think the thing that I started off with, that capitalism is a profit-driven system, tells you why there can't actually be good bosses, because all profit in society comes from the exploitation of the working class. So, you know, people might go to work for eight hours a day and they'll work for a short period of time for their wage, but the rest of the value that they create in society goes into the pockets of the of their bosses. And because of that, there's an incentive and an imperative for the capitalist class and the bosses to keep on just, you know, pounding away at the working class, continuing to cut their wages, uh, to cut safety conditions, uh, and to try and extract as much profit as possible uh, out of the people that they employ. And so, you know, if you and me, Roz, had a company and you were a really kind boss and gave all of your workers holidays and made sure they had, you know, the right P2 masks for when the smoke haze comes. Yeah. But then I was like just a cutthroat, ruthless boss. Mm. Well, if there was a new technological advancement, I'd probably be able to pay for that and you wouldn't. And you'd just go bust and I'd probably be able to buy your company, uh, hire your workers and then cut their wages uh, down to the appropriate rate uh, to make some money uh, off of them. So that's the thing about profit and competition being embedded into the system. It means that bosses, uh, you know, even if maybe a couple of them wanted to be nice, the system doesn't allow for that because you need to make profit. Otherwise, you're not going to be in the capitalist class anymore. You're going to be just a measly worker, uh, you know, instead of rising to the top of society. So Marx comes up with this um, concept, I guess, around that idea of exploitation because in capitalism, everything becomes what is referred to as a commodity. So something that can be bought and sold and has a value that is exchanged on the market. And there's this idea that the market sort of plays this role to equalise things or make sensible decisions or whatever it is um, that people think the market is good for. Like it, it's the core of capitalism, that idea that um, things are exchanged and they have this value. But what Marx actually tried to figure out is, well, what, what gives something value? Like what is the thing that has happened to everything to give it the value that it ends up having on the market or some distorted version of that? And he realises, and he's not the first one actually to come up with this, but it's the fact that people work on things, their labour power and what working class people do gives everything value in capitalism. So again, that contradiction, Emma, about sort of the fact of exploitation um, also means that it's workers who are sort of underpinning the entire system and the value of everything in capitalism. Except that's all kind of distorted. Yeah, it's definitely distorted. I think, um, you know, the brilliance of of Marx's sort of three volumes of Capital is basically it's just a way of showing over and over and over again that value is generated um, by nothing other than uh, human beings laboring upon upon things. So, you know, it's not... Uh, generated by the ingenuity of an individual capitalist. It's not generated by circulating things in a kind of intelligent way on the stock market. It's generated by ordinary workers laboring in order to um, create value. And the real sort of, I think the real 
the two things that are at the heart of capitalism that we've talked about already is that inequality is built into the system and competition is is built into the system. Um, And what that means is that no matter how much you work, no matter how hard you work, um, if you're a member of the working class, as the majority of human beings on the planet are today, um, you will only ever earn enough money in order to reproduce yourself so that you can sell your labor again um, to the capitalist. Uh, And that's really, you know, what is so sort of horrible Mm. about the whole system is that you know, we have, we're fed all these uh, stories about how capitalism is, you know, kind of exponentially growing wealth all the time, that it's uh, constantly um, providing all these new innovations and great things for human beings. But the, even though that is true to an extent, it's only a tiny, tiny minority of human beings that benefit from that. And it will remain that way as long as capitalism um, exists. And is the way in which we organise global society. And I guess that points to the other major um, problem with capitalism is that it's completely unsustainable because in terms of uh, not just human um, energy that is exploited through these processes, but a whole chunk of capitalism relies on the exploitation of the earth. And I think a a lot more now we're seeing people come to anti-capitalist conclusions from a perspective of what can we do about climate change and what can we do to save the planet. And that I think has been really noticeable just even in the last year or two that people who were previously thinking of other solutions to the climate catastrophe um, that didn't involve getting rid of capitalism are now saying actually we need system change. Um, to deal with climate change. So um, so that's obviously a huge thing about what is fundamentally fucked with capitalism. Yeah, I think uh, it's pretty clear for lots of people now that capitalism is the main cause of the climate crisis. I think people can clearly see that it's the profits of people like Gina Reinhart or Clive Palmer or uh, the Adani group that matters more um, than the sort of future of humanity. And I think there's other things you can say about the connection between uh, capitalism and climate change, not just the profits of the mining bosses, but also the drive to war and imperialism. Uh, The fact that you can't actually conduct a war on renewable energies, you need fossil fuels. And I think that people can rightly see that the blame needs to be put at the feet of these bosses, these governments, uh, and that, well, the only way actually we're going to be able to deal with the climate crisis is if we take the profit motive out of the way that we organise ourselves and also add in a um, modicum of democracy as well because most people want a rapid transition to renewable energies. Most people don't want the Adani coal mine, but because there's no real democracy under capitalism, people aren't actually allowed to have those opinions heard. The thing that matters more is the opinions of the capitalist class and their needs uh, and interests. So... um there are a lot of people who obviously want to defend this system, even in the light of all of that and the and the planet being um, very close to the brink of destruction. But one of the things that they would say about us talking about capitalism now is, well, you're just not doing it right. 
So Emma, I mean, you would like capitalism if you were, if you worked a bit harder and you were a bit richer and um, you can make the system work for you. So just do that and stop complaining about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is something like being a union delegate and in workplace organising that I have to have conversations a lot about um, is the difference between, um, I guess, navigating people's levels of cl- of different people's levels of class consciousness all the time. So like I've had, you know, conversations with workmates who say, oh, but I'm middle class, you know, and I'm like, well, do you have assets? Do you have employees? Um, Why do you work every day? (laughs) And they're kind of like, oh, I guess, you know, uh, maybe I am working class, but, you know, in order to reproduce myself, I mean, no, maybe I am working class, Uh, economically but culturally Mm. I'm middle class so it's really interesting that how distorted our ideas of sort of where we fit into the system are and how we can navigate the system in order in our own interests or something and I think the starting point for a lot of people is to recognize that um, capitalism is never going to give you anything that you do not demand and fight for from it Um, you know the same thing about uh Going back to the climate crisis, I think a lot of people want to believe that capitalism is a rational system, that it will be able to sort of adjust itself, you know, once it comes up against limits and that it has provided us with answers to lots of things in the past. But if you actually look at, you know, the history of capitalism, uh, whenever people have, you know, uh, gotten richer Whenever people have, you know, uh, been able to work less or had better living conditions, it's because uh, the working class as a class has fought tooth and nail in order to um, achieve those aims. Um, And, you know, those things can go backwards and they're being degraded all over the world, you know, all the time. And that's why we really need to keep fighting for those things. Also, with the climate crisis, this is an existential limit, you know, that is almost beyond any other you know, existential limit that capitalism has faced before, you know. Historically, there were times where um, the working class, you know, members of the working class were just dying because they were being worked, you know, to death, basically, and capitalism had to adjust itself by sort of, you know, putting women in the home and creating a reproductive um, basis for capitalism's uh, sustenance. But, you know, when we're coming up against apocalyptic uh, apocalyptic infernos and the sort of uh, existential threat of climate change, um, I'm really, yeah, it's really, I think, a point in time where people have to start coming to terms with the fundamental irrationality of capitalism as a system. And the craziness of the market that it's just, um, you know, it's just, it's gone up today because of the potential war that's about to break out between the US and Iran. Um, So if you think that that's the measure of like how good things are in the world, then it's pretty obviously contradictory and anarchic and based on those same fundamental things about competition between capitalism or capitalists and exploitation. Yeah. Mm. And on the other thing you said, Roz, about like, you know, people say that you could pull yourself up by the bootstraps and work hard and you'll get to the top. I think that it is just such an offensive argument about capitalism. The idea that working class people who have to work multiple jobs in order to 
uh, just survive, uh, you know, all the single parents who, you know, look after their kids and go to work, uh, or the migrant workers uh, across whole swathes of um, the developed world who clean all of the houses for these super rich bastards and receive very little uh, back in wages. All of those people are working pretty hard, but capitalism isn't providing for them. The way of the revolution and the other thing that we get sometimes um, as socialists talking about why we want to get rid of capitalism is well, do you want it to go back to living in the Soviet Union? At least under capitalism, you're free and there's democracy and you don't have to queue for food and wear grey clothes or whatever people think happened in the Soviet Union. Like, um, Is there an argument around that to be like, well, capitalism is better than Stalinism or that kind of version of communism? Well, no. Uh, like, uh, We're not for Soviet-style socialism and we're not for uh, – capitalism either. We're for a totally different way uh, of organising things. And all the things that people say about China or Russia under Stalin or, you know, Gorbachev or whoever, well, actually those things are realities for whole swathes of capitalism. Uh, what type of democracy is there actually? Well, what about all the American people who they've had to go on basically food rationing um, with the food stamps uh, because there's just so much poverty? Um no, we're not for uh, China or Soviet Russia. We're for ordinary people running society um, based on human need, not profit of the bosses. Yeah, I think it's really important, um, you know, for people who are interested in socialism to look at the history um, of, you know, uh, the Soviet Union and the history of places like China um, and try and understand how... Uh, you know, uh, basically the the organisation of society and the economy in those states developed into a form of what we call state capitalism, where basically you still have a capitalist mode of production running the society, um, but now you have like state the state owning all of what was private property. Um, that to us is not socialism. That's a you know, often totalitarian form of capitalism. Um, so it's really important to draw that distinction, but also important to understand the history um, and the ways in which popular revolutions where ordinary people, you know, did rise up and try and fight back against um, capitalism and create a new society that was really socialist were thwarted, you know, again and again um, by the powers that be um, and, and actually failed to achieve that society. Um and so, yeah, I really encourage people who have any, uh, you know, misgivings or worries about those, um, the, the Soviet Union or about China today, um, to, to look into the history and, and look into the analyses we have of state capitalism and things like that and really understand what we mean by socialism, which, as Annika said, is about ordinary people, working class people taking control over um society and over the means of production in order to satisfy the needs of all human beings. And the fact is that capitalism, I mean, people, and you talked about earlier, Emma, the struggles of people where, you know, it has been possible to get something a little bit better out of the system have always been fights, not just things handed over by the ruling class. And every time we can win something, that's good. But 
every single um, day, really, within capitalism, there is this constant struggle going on between those two fundamental classes that exist in capitalism, the working class and the ruling class for who can, you know, get a slightly bigger share. And the capitalist class have a whole bunch of resources on their side to do that. And we have our class power as workers in in the point of production. And we'll talk more about that in some of the other episodes in this series. And maybe we'll just finish on um, giving our um, favourite examples of things that we hate about capitalism or reasons that we became anti-capitalist in the first place. Who wants to go first? Uh, Well, one of the things that I really felt so angry about when I was a high schooler was just the way that our government treats refugees and asylum seekers. It's totally ludicrous and crazy that people fleeing war, persecution and into the future and currently it's going to be fleeing the climate crisis instead of being met with open arms are met with things like barbed wire met with mental uh, and physical abuse from the government and locked on island concentration camps. So the thing that made me hate capitalism and want to be a socialist was uh, to fight for refugee rights and get rid of this racist system. Yeah, the fact that torture of one human being or a group of human beings torture another group of human beings is not some feature of human society for all time. It's a absolutely fundamental feature of capitalist society. This is this is not part of some other thing. Which is pretty fucked up. Like and that people's job is to invent a better form of torture. And then people's other people's job that they have to do to survive under capitalism is to build those weapons that are used to torture people for the ruling class. I mean, that's pretty pretty big. What about you, Emma? I think I had an unorthodox entrance into socialist politics. I studied philosophy for a long time. But the thing that really inspired me to become a socialist was, I guess, um, the contradiction between, which we talked about a bit today, between like the amazing capacity of human beings to to reason, to like produce all these wonderful things, to be able to um, create a, a world that is, you know, wonderful for all of us. And the contradiction between that um, and the absolute barbaric irrationality of capitalism as a mode of organisation um, and the way in which it holds us all back and tortures us all and divides us all and and sort of um, also convinces us ideologically that this is the way it has to be. So um, I guess like it was a rejection in many ways of that, an attempt to reject that contradiction um, and just like a belief in the capacity of human beings to to do better. And, and yeah, that's something that I, I'll never give up no matter how many times people tell me to give it up. Um, yeah. And I think that is the fundamental thing about being an anti-capitalist because I think it's just one of those things that the system trains you. Like every child basically looks around and says, wait a second, this is not really fair. Why are these people being treated so badly? Why are refugees locked up? Why are Indigenous people, like, driven off their land? Why do some people have more than others? That doesn't seem fair. And it's sort of like this contradiction stares you right in the face, that the whole of the structure of this society is fucked up and unfair and there's no justification for it. And a lot of people can see that and they do see that and then they just think, okay, well, there's nothing we can do about it. That's just how it is. This is how it's always been, which is not true, obviously. 
um, and you just settle into it. And I think for us as socialists and revolutionary socialists, the idea of being against capitalism is not just seeing all of that in the world, all of the barbarity of the whole system and thinking, oh yeah, that's just how it is, but actually being organised and being persistent and um, being active and having a perspective, which hopefully you'll get through this series of podcasts, um, that there is something we can do about it and that the world can be different and that human beings deserve something better and we can win that for ourselves through international working class revolution. One solution, Roz. Revolution. Revolution, yeah. Stay tuned for the rest of the series. Thank you to Emma and Annika. You're listening to Red Flag Radio. We have a world to win. <laughs>